Welcome to League One Fun. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. We're sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. I'm Ira Jersey. Jason has the week off. So we called the one, the only, the voice of Gre- the Greenville Triumph. It's Ross Devonport. Ross, thanks very much for coming on League One Fun. Well, thanks for having me on, Ira. I'm not quite as young or as good looking as Jason. I don't have as, me- as much spicy takes, as many spicy <laughs> takes, I should say. But yeah, pre- glad to join you. Well, he, he, I'm sure, is getting into the spicy takes, and he's going to come back with a vengeance because I, I know he gets really uptight when he can't give his spicy <laughs> takes all the time. So uh, so with that, um, we're going to have a regular show. We're going to have an interview a little later on with someone that you know, Ross, because I just spoke with before we went on air with uh, Doug Irwin, who's the chief branding officer for the Greenville Triumph. He's good people. Yeah, we had him on our – I do a little – help out with a little podcast called Across the Pitch – with the guys, Phil and Aaron from Phoenix. We had Doug, Greenville is their team of the month. So we had Doug on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he's a great chat. Very nice. Uh, yeah, so across the pitch, I've been on that uh, podcast as well. It's a yes, lot of Akron Stanley as well as uh, other USL teams. And, uh, you know, Greenville, we're, we'll get into talking about a little bit about Greenville. But first, you know, let me talk to you about the broadcast of um, of Greenville. You know, you guys aren't at the stadium. You guys are doing things remotely. Do you guys have both camera angles? Because I know Vista usually has two cameras. Like, how do you actually broadcast and and uh and and how does that work sitting in a room with just the two of you it's uh it's difficult we didn't we we see what you guys see so we we some games are better than others obviously some camera angles you know the purpose-built stadiums are a little better than some of the ones at the baseball stadiums but no we just have the the one tv screen in front of us and the two of us sitting there in front of it. It, it it's difficult at times but i think we've got used to it by now everybody that's gone through there and done games which is a lot of people um, I got to go to the Fort Lauderdale, North Texas game a couple of weeks ago just to kind of get do a little prep before the Greenville game. And it was a different world being able to sit up there in the press box and see the formations and the runs that you don't always see on the TV. But we do the best we can with what we got. Yeah, it'd be great if they, uh, even if they just put a little, uh, you know, webcam, uh, tactical cam up and maybe behind one of the goals or something facing down so you could actually see the movement and the starting locations. That would be a, um, that would be a tip that I would give to. to it, uh, it would be nice. Maybe down the road, they're, they're always, you know, advancing things there with different technology. So hopefully, and now we've got the NWSL deal, which they did a great job on CBS and CBS Sports this past season in, in, in the bubble, obviously. So hopefully we get a few more leagues on board and, and get a bit more technology in there. But yeah, listen, it, it is what it is, and and uh, we, we do the best we can with the TVs. Obviously, we're relying a little too much on the camera operators sometimes. <laughs> Again, some games are better than others, but we, 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 make, we make do. That's great. Uh, well, first, we're, we're going to do the news. Uh, so first, the uh, there was an organization that was just created, the Black Players Alliance of USL. Uh, this was formed for both championship and uh, USL League One teams. It's an organization led by Black players with a mission to empower its members uh, to use their platforms and impact their communities. And obviously, with what's gone on lately, um, th- there's been additional uh, um, awareness being brought with uh, by USL teams. Uh, sitting b- before matches for seven minutes, the first seven minutes to yes. um, to, to basically uh, you know remind people that what happened in Wisconsin lately is not acceptable, nor is anything else. So um, you know, Ross, I, I assume that we'll uh, likely to see more of this as we go forward to keep awareness of the racial uh, injustices that are going on in the country. No, I think for sure. Listen, soccer, you know, is really truly the world sport that brings. You know, people of all colors together on a pitch with a common goal, you know, have fun kicking a ball around and see the recent response over these last couple of weeks from sports leagues and teams and players is, you know, has been phenomenal. And to me, if it makes one person stop and think about their attitude towards racism in this country, then job done. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's sad because when I was seven years old and, you know, I met Pele, you know, Brazilian, but also black, um, you know, he was the person who inspired me to play soccer and continue soccer throughout my lifetime. And, oh, wow. uh, you know, it's hard to, um, you know, it's hard to put a, put a thing on this. And when you were impressionable and young, you know, I think it's important for us to, to tell our, our children and, and our, our friends sure. and neighbors to, to bring a, a attention and light to this. So, um, you know, uh, hopefully in the future, we'll have someone from the Black Players Alliance uh, on League One Fund. And, um, you, know, you know, we'll talk about this, these very important issues that, um, that the Alliance is trying to bring attention to uh, more forcefully. Um, should we move on to somewhat lighter subjects? For example, there were a couple of signings recently, uh, Ross. So the, the first was um, um, uh, 
the kickers signed Olex Anderson, uh, St. Vincent and Grenadines International had played played for the Seattle Sanders actually 15 times in Major League Soccer back in 2016, but injuries forced him at least out of the game for a little bit towards ACL back then. Um, hasn't played pro as far as we know since. Um, do you know anything else about uh, about Olex? I mean, I remember he was he was decent for Seattle. I mean, at, at an MLS level, not spectacular, but certainly solid and. Played uh played half the games for for the uh, the Sounders that year. No, listen. The, the more League One players we can get with MLS MLS experience, the better. I don't know a whole lot about him. I said my brother. I mentioned to you before the show. My brother was a is a, or is a Sounders season ticket holder and mentioned that he played a little bit that season and unfortunately hurt himself. I think the day before they left for the MLS Cup final that year. Um, yeah, I think listen. Richmond <laughs> Darren Swatsky obviously knows about this guy from with his Seattle background. If he can bring Richmond to an even higher level offensively than more power to them. They're obviously doing okay so far. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll talk about this later, but the, you know, kickers have gone on a little bit of a run and obviously, have. Um, uh, obviously with uh, uh, Greenville slipping just a little bit, um, they're, uh, um, they're looking pretty good. The, the, the top of the table is looking very, very interesting at the moment. Um, I, f- I did forget to mention that there was a game that was postponed because of uh, what happened in uh, um what happened in Wisconsin. And I would say that uh, uh, forward Madison postponed their match against North Texas to highlight the Jacob Blake incident and to uh, shift attention from, you know, sport to the fight against uh, systemic discrimination uh, toward black Americans. And that's uh, th- that was a, from a statement that forward Madison made in their postponement of the game. Um, going back to signings, uh, Greenville uh, signed Curtis Thorne. Uh, Ross, what do you know about Curtis? And, you know, have you talked to Coach Harks about uh, what how he hopes to use uh, Curtis in the upcoming matches? Well, not Greenville. Tormenta signed him. I know. I think I had that. Oh, excuse me. That's I, all right. Uh, no, listen, I, I know Greenville. Funnily enough, I'll, I'll tell you how much time do we have left about Curtis Thorne because he actually uh, played for Nova Southeastern University, a Division II college down here in South Florida. And well, Greenville, now you mentioned Greenville, Greenville could do with a center back right now with the way they're struggling <laughs> with some injuries. But uh, yeah, Curtis Thorne played at Nova Southeastern, a school that I do some broadcasting for. I think I did probably 80, 80% of the men's games last couple of years. And uh, Curtis Thorne's a nice signing. I mean, the fact that they traded for a foreign player spot from uh, forward Madison for Curtis Thorne, you know, a center back out of college, tells you how much they really highly regard him. Um, he came through the Fulham system in England, played at Haven and Waterlooville, which is just an hour down the coast from Bournemouth, went to college in England, then came over here to fit to grad school. So he had two years of eligibility uh, when he came over. He was all South Regional Conference. Um, but I actually spoke to him in the, uh, via Twitter in November, and I asked him you know, who he was looking at because I was trying to get him to go up to a Greenville Open tryout. And he said the biggest problem was being international, that the, the teams were you know, not really to, willing to really risk a foreign slot you know, as I said, on the center back, fresh out of college. But yeah, he played for Tormenta too last summer. Um, did really well there. They had nine shutouts, I think it was. He's strong, physical, loves to get forward on set pieces. You'll occasionally, I remember I used to have a phrase that he just go, he'd go on these marauding runs from center back. I'm not sure how much of that he'll get to do at the league one level, but it obviously comes nice timing for Tormenta with Phelps. Obviously, going to be missing the game on Friday due to his red card, although. I know Michael O'Sullivan came on to fill in for Phelps in that game. Actually, a conference rival, played for a conference rival of Curtis Thorne in college. But, yeah, a nice little signing for them. Um, we'll see how much he plays the rest of the way. Obviously, Tormenta, Tormenta's season kind of teetering on the edge. Perhaps yeah, they lose one or two more games. So yeah, maybe they will get a, ch- a chance to look at him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that a, a little bit later. Um, so, Ross, any, uh, any other signings that you know of, or shall we move on to our match? Oh, I think that's it for now. Yeah. So the first match was Wednesday. I'm sure this was a match that you watched with some attention. It was the New England, yeah, New England Revolution two scored one goal, and the Greenville Triumph scored none. Uh, the head coach of the New England Revolution, Coach Clint Pa, said after the match that uh, uh, it's a good feeling, and I think it's been coming for us. I think we've had a string of some games where we felt like we deserved more out of them, and finally got the result. And to see. Uh, 
and to see it through tonight was special, especially against the team that was first in the league. And I think that that end bit is very important because this was for Greenville's first loss of the season. It obviously, was. obviously away, not the worst thing in the world from a um, from a results perspective. You know, going going to a hostile environment, playing on turf, and and playing on a field with uh, with American football lines. <laughs> but in in the fifty seventh minute, Rio uh, Sh- uh, Shimiazi uh, scored a goal. Um, uh, basically. He, he won the ball. Rio won the ball in the middle of the field, got the ball to Nick Firmino. Uh, Firmino made a, a couple of nice moves in order to move the ball forward and then found Rio, who uh, made a nice finish. Um, Ross, what did you see in this match that you think, you know, Greenville tends to be a very defensively minded team. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, uh, what, what you saw in this match that, that, you know, allowed New England to kind of get in front and stay there. I mean, I went back and actually looked at all the shots of that game just before the podcast today. The quality chances just weren't really there for either side. Greenville, did, I think, did their normally their normal defensive job. You know, limited Green, limited New England, and again got beat on the break, which has happened a couple of times, not just this season, the last season as well. When Greenville, you know, push up a little too far. Uh, I mean, just some of the shots that Greenville were taking. I think they lead the league in shots, which amazes me. But the quality chances just weren't there in this game against New England. You know, Aaron Walker, I think, had four or five sort of putt shots from way downtown. Carlos Gomez, I know, had a header and a volley that sort of fizzed wise, but you know, Greenville are really struggling to get things going in the center of the pitch at the moment. I can't remember the amount of crosses in that game from Greenville. It was, it, I know it was a ton, um, but I'm sure the, the XG, the expected goals for that game for both sides weren't very high, but Greenville, it was reminding me, I was talking to Chris McCovey at my play-by-play guy earlier today. It was reminding me of that patch they went through a little bit last season, uh, I think sort of in the first, like, I think it was games four through 12. They, they only had one win during that stretch and they were really struggling to get things going. And then they had that one loss against Tucson that really woke them up. Uh, um, but yeah, this was a disappointing result, obviously with, with New England then going on the road after that and losing four nothing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would not have been surprised if this game was like a nil-nil draw, one-one draw. Right. But, the, you know, the fact that Greenville wasn't able to put one away against a team that, quite frankly, has been leaking some goals. Um, you know, yes. Greenville, you know, I think most of the two teams, their attacks are decent enough that you have to expect them to, you know, kind of get one in the game. But yeah. their their defenses are not particularly strong. So so in this game, um, you know, Greenville did outshoot uh, New England 13-19. to 19, uh, And they did have one more shot on net. But like you said, like, None of those chances were really, you know, big, high-quality chances um, overall. I I think, you know, New England did a good job. What they did a good job of was keeping the ball out wide against Greenville and not allowing Greenville the ball in the middle, like you, like you said. So I, th- I think that was one of the big things. And I, I don't know if, you know, Richmond tried the, a similar type of uh, – um, uh, a similar type of approach too. So maybe some people have figured things out and coach Harks needs to think about, you know, how do we, how do we adjust the people having adjusted to us at this point? Yeah. I mean, I have faith he'll do that. We'll go, we'll go talk about that goal as well. I don't know if you noticed it was perhaps offside. The camera didn't quite pan in time, but the AR was a little out of position. And obviously I think as you know, as an official IRA, that if you're, if you're out of position, you know, you don't make a call if they're offside or not, because you, you're in the wrong spot. So but Greenville still should have done a better job of, of checking, tracking those late runners. But yeah, Greenville's problem when they do have trouble is is in the middle of the pitch and creating chances, you know, in the box. I mean, they've scored again. They've had a ton of shots and they've scored some some great goals this season. But the the, the consistent quality chances, you know, Jake Keegan's disappeared a little bit uh, over the last few games after that hot start. And you know, Lachlan McLean, I think, only lasted a half in this game. They've been changing formations, but I wouldn't panic just yet. All right, and uh, so moving on from from that game, Orlando uh, Friday night was Orlando City B versus South Georgia Tormenta. This game ended one one. Um, you know, <laughs> interestingly, you know, both of these were, you know, very interesting goals. I mean, firstly on the uh, <laughs> that's one way of putting it, Ari. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so Tormenta goes on top in the 29th minute. Um, so one of his play, so one of the uh, OCB players, I don't remember who it was, but it, it was either outside back or a center back. Tried to pass. Yeah, the we ball. went to him dirty like that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Tried to pass the ball back to uh, Austin uh, Avizia, who's the the goalkeeper for Orlando City B. And um, you know, it wasn't in fairness, it wasn't a great back pass because it was in the air. It was, but also wasn't the shot, but Austin took his eye off the ball and it just went right under his foot and into the goal. I mean, that was, 
that was a very you know that was an error you usually see like in my my u10 girls game not <laughs> yes. not at the professional level no the pass was certainly quite a bit to blame i think it came from almost at the touchline and it was bouncing on the turf and but avisa yeah the last thing you want to do as a keeper is ever lift that foot off the ground especially with those bouncing balls because you don't know when it's going to exactly get to you and he just yeah lost his and he he took it like a champ. He watched it go in and, and and then turned around and kept on going. But yeah, it was a disappointing goal to give up for sure. Well, and he had made he had made a, a big goalkeeping error just the, you know the game be, be or game or two before right where um, you know he took yeah. a hard touch. So I wonder how much that fed into what he was thinking. Like, hey, I can't take a hard touch, and if I do, you know, it might create another goal. But instead, he you know doesn't take a touch at all basically because he uh, um, I think was looking up maybe hoping that you know searching to see if he was under any kind of pressure but um yeah that so it's definitely something in Aviza's game where if he's thinking about you know moving up to the next level and playing for Orlando yeah. City's first team um he's gonna have to get that fixed in a hurry otherwise he might not even see the pitch in league one much much longer no listen goalkeepers these days are expected to play the ball out from the back and if you can't even control listen as we say it wasn't the best bouncing pass but I don't think he was even under that much pressure as he was. He was under no pressure. Reading. There was no one within 25 yards of him. Yeah, yeah so that, that, that's very disappointing. Hopefully they'll be working on that in practice. Yeah. Uh, in the 61st minute, Josh Phelps got his second yellow while he also uh, brought someone down in the box. Um, so Josh got sent off, um, and uh, and the resulting PK was buried by, uh, uh, by Raul Aguilera. Um, it was a good pen. I mean, definitely – definitely was it was going to be hard for Hara to um to, to stop it but uh, you know that uh, you know was it a soft pen do you think ross or was, I mean, it, was, it, was it deserved it was hard to tell that the screams that's one thing you could tell now with the lack of fans is the screams coming from the players it looked like he from my angle it looked like he almost a handball like he was digging out a ball you know in volleyball um but yeah disappointing when you already have the yellow card i think Hara was in position to make the save i don't yeah. know it's just a bit of a brain brain fart we'll call it and but yeah it was a good penalty listen with these we have a few smaller keepers in this league and who have to perhaps choose a little earlier than a taller keeper which way to go so as a result sometimes they lead that down the middle open he he did get a half a hand and even though he's a couple of yards off the line it yeah kicked but yeah good penalty yeah so so definitely a good penalty so my argument about whether or not josh phelps should have been sent off is this it's that um if if you're sent off for if, if there's a handball on the box that's a penalty right so you know I, I it was definitely a penalty one way or the other the question is was it denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity and i would argue that it wasn't primarily because hara still had position on the ball and had um, had Josh Phelps' hand not been there, Hara it probably would have been right into Hara's mm -hmm. stomach. So I'm not sure that it was really denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. So it should have been a PK, no yellow. Josh Phelps stays on at least until he gets another yellow later in the game, maybe. But um, uh, so so um, yeah, you know, I think Josh was a little bit hard done there uh, for getting that that second yellow. Um, but nonetheless, it might have ended 1-1 anyway, even if he wasn't sent off. Um, there weren't a lot of chances in this game at all, really. Um, in fact, um, in fact, while there were a lot of shots, OCB in particular took a ton of shots, 16 shots. Only four of them were on target. Um, so, you know, there really weren't a lot of um, – uh, there were, really wasn't a lot, but but Tormenta, unlike last year where Tormenta was a reasonably high-scoring team, they only had they only had five you know decent chances in this game with uh, only two shots on target. So, what do you any any thoughts on maybe what's going on with Tormenta's offense this season? Is it just injuries? I mean, we know that they started this season with a lot of injuries, but you know, game like this when they had most of their players available, it's hard to fathom uh, how they didn't generate more offense. Yeah, it's an interesting one. They got off to that slow start with, you know, some of the injuries and the COVID problems, and I just think they've never seemed to recover from that. They obviously play Greenville this Friday. It looked like they were starting to get back into the swing of things, and then this result was, you know, was, was very disappointing as you said. Only the two shots on goal, and, but again, Pablo Hara had to make a big save. I remember from Lamb. So if even that wasn't had that didn't have that penalty, I haven't seen the nominees for save of the week, but that Pablo Hara save should be up there for sure. But yeah, Tormentor, as I, as I said to you beforehand, I think are a loss, you know, maybe one loss away, maybe two from really being out of contention here. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Uh, then we go to Saturday's matches. So the the earlier match was, uh, which of course is mid afternoon because uh, <laughs> yes. uh, because Chattanooga doesn't have its lights. Um, but Chattanooga Red Wolves beat uh, New England two, who had beaten the 
the, uh, the the top of the table, Greenville Triumph, earlier in the week, and New England lost 4-0. Um, scoring started in the 12th minute. Uh, it just got worse from there. Uh, it was 3-0 at halftime. Marky Hernandez with a couple of goals. Steve Beattie comes on and scores in the 88th minute for his first of the season uh, after coming back from injury. So interestingly, New England Revolution 2 had zero shots on target in this game, Ross. Um, zero. Yeah, yeah, they've they've really struggled on the road this season. Uh, Chattanooga, though, this is listen, this is we, I think we've obviously seen the top three at the top at the moment, but Chattanooga, I think, could really make a little run here and really get into that top two. They've got some serious offensive talent. Hurst on that second goal, I don't know how often, how many times I had to watch it. I think three times, Ira, because it was such a gem. <laughs> Just the lead up to it, you know, the first touch, the first touch really made the the goal to me, and then he did a little second shimmy to get around the covering defender. With that was sublime, and then the. The easy pass back for Marky Hernandez is really now shining. And if they can get Beatty, you know, back at 100%, I'm really concerned that, that Chattanooga are going to make a late run here for these last two spots and really make yeah. it perhaps a, a four-team race, even three well, or four-team race. When when we talk about it a little bit later, I, I also, uh, you know, we could have actually a five-team race, uh, yeah. all independent teams, actually. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that because there's, um, uh, you know, two teams, including Chattanooga, that could still <laughs> – Go up there if uh, if a couple of the teams at the top have a couple of draws and, and they get a couple of wins, it, it could be really quite interesting. Um, and you know, forward Madison in that mix too. Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, quite frankly, it was a comprehensive win by Chattanooga. There's not much else we can really say. I mean, they had yeah. seven shots on target, scored four goals, all from open play. You know, nothing much to else to say about it. I think. I would agree. All right, moving on to the game of the week, I would say. This was uh, the, the top-of-the-table clash between the Richmond Kickers, who hosted the Greenville Triumph. The Kickers uh, were uh, ended up on top 2-1, to one, thanks to goals from Trezaghi and Riley Kraft. Uh, but uh, Brandon Fricky, the old Lansing uh, Ignite uh, defender, wound up uh, getting on the score, score sheet, too. Um, so... Ross, first, um, you know, any big picture thoughts about this match before maybe we go into the goals? I mean, I think if you told me if they got the point in New England, say, and then came into this one and lost two one to to Richmond, I, I don't think Greenville would have been too upset. But it was the it was the 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 way the goals went in was the worst part. John Harks always talks in our weekly conference calls about he's more concerned about the performance than the result. I don't think he'd be upset, particularly upset at the result, but the performance just wasn't there for a second game in a row, especially offensively. I know 14 shots again and four on target, but just no, no real com no real quality chances except for that one. Um, that obviously the goal, but that was a bit of a, a bit of a fluke. I know the chance that Keegan and I think it was Gomez perhaps had when they when Richmond turned it over deep in their final third, and it was a good save in the end. But that was really the only chance I can even think of. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, you did have um, uh, Ivan Magalhaes did save save a shot off the line. Well, yeah, that's right. after the Keegan save, yeah. That's right, yeah. So after uh, Akira Fitzgerald was caught kind of in, in no man's land. And, uh, um, you know, so, so that save, this easily could have been two to two for sure. Um, and, and especially so so there was a, another sending off in this match. Ian Antley got another second yellow uh, for a very clumsy tackle that was definitely a yellow on McLean. And, um, yeah, you know, he went uh, – interesting, you know, Ian Antley, either makes team of the week or gets sent off i mean that seems to be his <laughs> his mantra right now um so uh so he uh but but you know after that greenville couldn't put a lot of um you know didn't put a lot of um of pressure on on richmond at that point i mean richmond did a very good job bunkering down after uh after antley was sent off so uh, you know it, which I, I don't. It, it seems like when when Greenville is given a lot of the ball, so they had fifty nine percent possession in this game. That sometimes they have a problem getting the ball to goal. Like it's breaking down Dude. defenses that they don't have. Whereas they play, seem to play a little bit better against higher lines when defenses are pushed up and they can attack on the break. Is that yeah. what you see too, Ross? Yeah, I mean they're definitely set up to absorb, absorb, and the, and then try and get on on the counter. They're not particularly a pressing team. They do at times. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was very frustrating. They really haven't. I, I, I remember last season I was complaining a little bit about, I think Carlos Gomez really stepped up towards the end of the season or the middle of the season. He really stepped up at that 10 role, the 10, eight role. They just really don't have anything in the middle creative. Uh, I mean, Walker, they had Walker and Paul Klaus, perhaps, you know, coming back, perhaps he shouldn't have been starting in such a key game coming off, you know, a pretty serious knee uh, injury. Um, so we have Walker, Klaus, and Pilato in a sort of four, five, two in the middle, and neither of those three could really do any sort of penetration 
through the middle. I know Walker had a couple of long distance chances. Gomez had a, you know, a header and a volley that sort of went wide, but you know, it's just, it's, it's up the middle of the truck, but the, the real trouble is they're highly reliant on the wingers. And Alex Morel has been brilliant. Uh, yeah, they, they put in they put in twenty crosses in this game, and and um, only four of them were actually successful. So, yeah, you know, there's uh, I, I agree. Like, you know, the wing play hasn't been great, and with guys like Kyle Ventner and Maglahays in the middle, um, those guys are pretty good at, at at defending those those balls from the outside. So, um, definitely happened. But um, I'd like to go through the goals here a little bit if we can, Ross. Sure. So, yeah, in the fifteenth <laughs> minute. To. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of the thing that we do here on League One Fun. So, That's all um, right. so the kickers go up in the fifteenth minute. Uh, Terzaghi is left wide open in the middle. Um, good pass by Ivan Maglahays to get the ball out to Matt Boldick on the touchline, and and Boldick just powers through Tyler Pollock. I mean, I, I really was. Yeah. It's not something you often see. I mean, Tyler is a pretty decent one-on-one open field defender, but, um, but Bolduck just muscled past him and uh, got the ball into the box. And before anyone could get to him, he uh, squared the ball to a wide open Terzaghi. And, you know, one of the things that, that this particular play, um, I, I don't want to say highlighted, but one of the things that you didn't see that much last season from Greenville was having a striker, a number nine, wide open in the box. And in this case, you know, you saw Terzaghi wide open in the box for the for basically a tap-in. Um, was, was there anything in this play that you think, you know, obviously cover Terzaghi, cover the number nine making that run into the box? I mean, other than that, um, you know, there wasn't much else that, that Greenville could have done about it. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Pollock has to be having nightmares about Matt Baldick now. The first game of the season, he bl- he blitzed past him and did that sort of 50-meter sprint. That's right. Made Tyler Pollock looked very slow. And then this one, yeah, Ty- Pollock, I think, correctly tried to put the body on him, but Baldick just shoved him off. And then, you- listen, the one guy you've got to worry about giving any space in the box is Emiliano Terzaghi. Listen, this guy, uh, you know, yes, he didn't play a whole lot of starting soccer in Argentina, but he was on a team, Banfield, that is- are no slouches. And he obviously has enough talent to come here and he's, he's lived up to expectations and Paul Klaus lost him a little bit. And then uh, uh, Lee didn't do a great job of sort of getting in the way of Baldock and he, he was wide open between three guys and he's going to put those away 99% of the time. So let's go a little bit uh, to, you know, some good news for Greenville because in the 29th minute they did tie it up where uh, there was a corner served in. Uh, Venter tried to tried to clear it, but Brandon Fricky was right there. It hits off Brandon Fricky's, I guess, knee, thigh, shin. I couldn't really tell, but it hits him in the leg, then bounces off his chest, goes over Akira Fitzgerald, who tries to puts a hand up, gets a finger on it, but the ball hits the bottom side of the crossbar and into the goal for the equalizer. So by the way, Ross, second week in a row, go back to Richmond's last home game and watch the craziness second week in a row on that same goal that you have just pinball being played by players where the ball ends up in the back of the net. You know, this time it was for the opposition. Last time it was in favor of Richmond. Um, You know, (laughs) better to be lucky than, than good, I guess, uh, Ross. Oh, I mean, listen, Greenville got the advantage of that. I remember in, in the first game against Richmond with that Keegan goal where the ball was just pinging off legs that time. This one, yeah, Fricky got himself in a good position and the ball was right there. Uh, Akira was just very unfortunate. Um, and then when that goal went in, it was so sort of, Greenville had just started to come back into the game and you're like, okay, this is a little more Greenville-y. And then, and then what happened right before the half was really the difference in the game, obviously. Yep. So what you're talking about is was in uh, first half injury time. Uh, it was 45th plus two. Uh, so Pavone made a great run for Richmond and gets the ball to the top of the 18, makes a great turn, hits it with his left foot, goes through a number of defenders. It might have gotten a deflection. I couldn't quite tell, but I think it got a deflection. Hits off the post. And the important thing here is, you know, th- this is the lesson to every single, you know, youth player, attacking player anywhere follow the shot because Riley Kraft was the only person who followed the shot and he found himself wide open at the six and was able just to tap the ball uh, past the Dallas J. Yeah, it was a great shot. You said Dallas J may have been a little unsighted. He certainly saw it late if he did see it and couldn't react. Well, it came off the post and you're hoping at least one defender is perhaps tracking back and they all just kind of stood there and looked. And yeah, Riley Kraft hammered it home. It was the timing of the goal was obviously critical as well because I'm sure it made John Hark's change his halftime talk, whatever he had prepared before that point, perhaps thinking it would go into 1-1. And then it was just a disappointing goal to let in overall by Greenville, who, yeah, known for their, obviously, their solid defense. And this was just another brain fart. 
Yeah, so so Greenville had uh, had a number of chances to get back into the game before the 74th minute. Um, you know, they, they had a, a few shots, a couple on net. Uh, Richmond could have potentially made it 3-1 as well. Um, so after that red card that we talked about where Ian Antley was sent off in the 74th minute, though, Greenville, you know, only had two shots and only one of those was on target. Um, you, you know, is, is there something that that – Ross, that you saw that uh, Richmond may have done in order to really limit those chances, because it's one thing to say, okay, that you know, afterward you had you know six shots and only one on target, but right. you know those shots were blocked or they were from bad angles because you know teams have eight players in the box, you know. Um, but but was there something in particular that you thought that Richmond did very well in order to limit the Greenville's chances late in the game? Um, listen, I don't think any particular. Listen, I think at that point, you, know, you get down to ten men. Then your job is just to hang on for dear life. And they did that. They're listen. They're a confident team. They're playing at home. You know, against the team at the top of the league, which you know, let's be honest, doesn't have a whole lot of offensive threats for you know to to do a Joe Guyada and dribble around a couple of people and create something out of nothing. So they just did a great job of. I think Brandon Fricky had at least two of the. I think he might have had both of the shots towards the end of the game. That's not exactly the guy you want. You know putting the ball on goal when you're down two on with 15 minutes to go and a man up. So no, I just think it was just a confidence thing and being at home and Greenville, maybe some tired legs there as well in the third game in eight days. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely some tired legs. I think they're late in the game in particular um, and, and both on the road too. Right. So that's, that's sure. another thing to consider, right. Going from uh, going from, from Foxborough down back to Georgia and excuse me, back to uh, South Carolina and then up to Richmond um, certainly had to, had to take, uh, take your toll on some legs. I mean, in, in terms of your recovery and. Yeah. And, and the injuries. Uh, People haven't talked as much about the injuries. They don't think about Greenville, Harry Hawkins, um, who started the previous game, I think, and, and had come off the bench as well. And he was starting to get, he was starting to get healthy and he hurt himself. Now he's going to be out a little bit. Abdi Mohammed, you know, who was predicted by many to be, you know, the starting right back and getting forward as much as he could. He's been hurt. Max Hemmings still remains out. And you know, Paul Klaus just coming back. You know, they're not the biggest squad in the league at 21. Um, so with these games you know, crammed into eight days, you can't, when you have these injuries, you can't, you move guys around as much and rotate. So I think that's been an issue as well. Another short week now for Greenville with the game on Friday as well. And then you have to, uh, of course, occasionally play people out of position. I mean, that's something obviously that Tormenta had to do for the first uh, like five, six games of their season too. Um, you know, they didn't have even one player at every single position. So, um, yeah, I mean, luckily <laughs> yeah, they have guys like... Yeah, Greenville well, had to do that. Yeah, I remember Tyler Polak playing center back when Fricky yeah. had a red card, but... One thing with John Harks' squad is that he has a lot of guys that can play multiple positions, so that hasn't really been an issue yet, but it may be if, if people keep dropping like flies. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the last match of the week uh, that was played, uh, Union Omaha defeated FC Tucson. It was a 2-1 to scoreline, uh, Omaha coming out on top. Uh, Elma N4 got his first start. I think this was his first start of the of the season. I, I may be wrong. Maybe he started another one, but he had been an impact sub off the bench for a number of games. Um, did get the start today uh, for FC Tucson. Friend of the show, Charlie Dennis, was – you know, one of the him and Shaq Adams were probably the only two players that I noticed uh, that did a ton in this game that that really uh, tried to generate offense for uh, for Tucson. Um, and, uh, you know, was a kind of, you know, Shaq Adams couldn't quite use his pace in this game the way that he can on bigger pitches. And I think that's one of the advantages that Omaha has playing on the somewhat smaller pitches. Guys who are really fast like Shaq Adams can't get in behind quite as well um, because they, they just, you know, don't have the the, the time to basically take off. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, a goal in the 16th minute by Union Omaha from uh, Devin, uh, Devin Boyce. 33rd minute again, you know, similar to the um, to the the Richmond Greenville game. Shaq Adams scores in the 33rd to tie it up, um, and late in the game, Molina scores for Union Omaha with the winner. Um, you know, Union Omaha been on a tear. I mean, are, are we are we surprised at all by their performance this year so far? Um, or, or, or I don't not? think so. Listen, when we saw the players they picked up uh, in the off season, we knew that we'd seen at League One level before. We knew they had a pretty decent team. We obviously hadn't seen Mims coach. We didn't know exactly how they were going to come out. They actually come out and play a little like Lansing with their physicality. You know, Vanacore Decker has been very good for them this season. They play that aggressive, uh, you know, pressing style. And, and that home field advantage, as you mentioned, that, that small field. I don't, I don't, I'd love to go and find out the dimensions of the pitches overall. I don't know them 
off the top. So, of so, so it's a it's basically a minimum it's a minimum minimum FIFA regulation pitch. So it's okay. it's like what one twenty by seventy, I think exactly. So which is is a little bit shorter and a little bit uh, narrower than the typical uh, professional pitch. But so, yeah, that certainly yeah. helps them. I think yeah. there's no doubt about it. And certainly when you press, it helps, right? So when you keep, when, when the, when the game is going to be compact anyway, you know, playing a pressing style and trying to force the ball into certain areas of the field, I, I think, uh, you know, has, has done well. So, you know, good on Jay Mims for doing that. You know, interestingly, and maybe this is partly because it's a, it's a small field. There were 50 crosses total in this match for us. <laughs> 30 for 30 for Omaha. Surprised they're 20. finding space down the wings across. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I think some of these crosses were like from 30 yards out and in toward the penalty spot kind of thing, you know. So, um, yeah. and uh, but yeah, so so FC Tucson had 20 crosses um, and Omaha had 30, and and not many of them connected at all. Um, so it was uh, interestingly, um, you know, Omaha. Did not have any big chances, according to uh, the Fot Mob, which is kind of the um, the app that that we tend to use. Um, whereas uh, FC Tucson had one, and obviously that was the goal. So well, um, I mentioned that first goal by Boy. So I was happy to see that it was up for goal of the week because that was a sneaky, sneaky, very quality goal. He flicked that one, and you know, M4 did all the hard work <laughs> holding it up in the box there. Then Boyce just kind of sauntered across from the right side of the box and sort of on the run, just flicked it with the outside of his right foot. It was a beautiful finish that many might not appreciate. So I was glad to see that in the goals of the week nominees. Yeah. So, so take a look at that goal and, uh, you know, Elma N4 obviously uh, being very impactful as we knew that he would be for, uh, for Union Omaha, even, even when he's not getting assists, he, we still have a, a chance to talk about him. So I'm, I'm always very happy about that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the standings if we can, Ross. So I do the sure. points, points per game standing when we have you know some teams on six games some teams on eight games i just think yeah. it's fair to uh look at points per game instead of the uh instead of the outright standings and what we have is the richmond kickers on top with 2.17 points per game followed very closely basically by a draw effectively uh by both the greenville triumph and union omaha and within touching distance, but still farther back, is Forward Madison and Chattanooga Red Wolves, uh, each with uh, 1.33 points per game. So interesting here, you know, last year, Ross, we had uh, North Texas was always toward the top of the table. Yeah. Um, this time, five independent teams now are first through fifth uh, in terms of points per game, with Fort Lauderdale being the, the sole um uh, the sole two team that's uh, that's in sixth. So, yeah, you know, what, what do you think's changed this year between last year with some of the independent teams? I mean, listen, I think obviously the preparation for the season for them was probably a little different than for you know the independent teams that basically knew their team, you know, as far back as in January and February, perhaps before things went a little crazy. As we know, these some of these uh, two sides wait till the last minute possible to announce a roster. And listen, for Lauderdale looked very good at times. I don't know how long they're going to be able to hold on to Eduardo Sosa and Ricky Lopez Espin. Um, but yeah, they're the only team that's really looked half decent out of the B sides. Yeah. And, it, and, and their attacking obviously has been, uh, been what's really saved them because defensively, I think they're sometimes uh, very suspect. Um, so I, I would be pretty surprised quite frankly, if Fort Lauderdale made it, uh, made it the second, you know, if we were, if we were doing a four team playoff, I would say that they might have a shot at kind of that fourth place, but um, coming in second at this point at 1.17 points per game is, uh, it's really kind of hard. Um, they because they would need everyone in front of them basically to start losing a bunch of games and, and they would have to uh, be on top. Yeah. Uh, but then South Georgia Tormenta is the sole independent team that's kind of out of the, the top half. Um, they're currently in uh, uh, seventh place in points per game with 1.13, but still more than one point per game. Um, so, you know, that's that's a difference between I think most of the two teams and the independent teams is they all have uh, at least, you know, over one point per game, whereas, you know, Tucson, uh, North Texas, Orlando City B and New England Revolution 2 have one point per game or less. So um, so South Georgia at least has, you know, at least a little a little bit of offensive threat um, and uh, and and, you know, nine points in eight games, though, is still not not great for them. No, they, they do have some hope there. Obviously, Friday against Greenville at home, you know, I think is almost a must-win game for them to be able to stay in the race. You know, I like the three at the top to perhaps start to break away. I'm not a huge fan of Madison. They, they started off slowly and have started to play a little better. But Chattanooga, I think, could force themselves into the race. But at the moment, either them or Madison has got to win 
they got to go on sort of a two or three game win streak to get up there with those other three teams, unless they get some help, which as these B teams uh, start to play a little better, you know, start to cohesive, get a little more cohesive as the season goes on. I think that'll certainly have an impact. We saw Orlando City beat, beat Greenville late last season and almost wrecked their playoff hopes. So yeah, it's going to be a fun race to the finish. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So Madison, I think has to rely on maybe Michael Vang, one of their new signings and playing in that number 10 to really generate additional offense. So um, I think that the question with forward, I I agree with you is can they be consistent down the stretch? Because it's that consistency that they'll need in order to, uh, in order to have it any shot at making the top two for sure. Again, you know, if it was a 14 playoff, it would be a much different story that we'd be talking about, I think, with with Madison. Yeah, well, Chattanooga now with Beattie back, especially that Beattie-Hurst combination is, is going to be scary for a lot of teams. I don't think Eamon Zayed is going to be back this season, but those two on their own, if they can stay healthy, that's you know probably the top pairing up top in the league. Well, we're, we're gonna. That's why we play the matches and why we watch them. So for this uh, for this kind of excitement. So before we get into the match previews, uh, let's uh, let's go do my interview with Doug Irwin. Uh, he is the vice chairman and chief brand officer for the Greenville Triumph. And we're back. With me now is Doug Irwin. He's the chief brand officer and vice chairman of the Greenville Triumph. Doug, thanks very much for coming on League One Fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So let's talk briefly about what it means to be the chief brand officer. What in particular is your job and and what, I guess, part of the portfolio within the club landscape do you oversee? Yeah, um, you know, chief brand officer in, in title just in general as of late has kind of somewhat become interchangeable for chief marketing officer. Um I, I would say that the, the primary day to day duties are overseeing marketing communications uh, as part of that. But but you know also with with the brand coming to to life, which was about a five month process or so, overseeing that and um, overseeing a lot of uh, merchandise execution and development, um, you know, kits, things things like that. You know, I. I try to not, uh, it's a democracy here, but I know as the brand title, there are lots of things that aren't my department that I want to make sure we're positioning our brand appropriately. So I'm in on a lot of conversations uh, from a from a higher level to to try and make sure, you know, everything from our uh, sales collateral to what the tickets look like and um, all that, where I just, I just try and help uh, keep a consistent look and look and feel throughout uh, basically any communications, any touch points where a fan or a sponsor uh, would come into contact with the club. So you, you're going on to, um, you know, two years kind of in existence. Uh, the, the end of this year will be about when you, um, you guys announced that you're going to have a club and that um, you started to get the brand out there. What's, uh, what's been the response from the community? You know, not only the, the hardcore supporters who try to come to the stadium whenever um, the, the seating capacity allows during these crazy times, but, but also with, uh, with the business sector and, uh, um, and, you know, what's the penetration been like and, and the brand awareness? It's been great. You know, I think uh, for us, year, year one was certainly big and, um, be, you know, we had a, had a little bit of ways to go just as a new sports team, but also as a new pro sport in town. We'd had a, a couple iterations of uh, soccer before, that semi-pro, amateur, um, what have you. And there's a good high school collegiate, um, you know, soccer uh, environment up, up in the upstate with Clemson and Berman and a couple other programs. Uh, so that, that was, that was a leg up, but, but certainly there was a lot of work that, that needed to be done. And, and I think year one, the thing that resonated the most was winning right out of the gate and, and making it to the final, you know, the, the playoffs were really a chance for kind of the casual fan in Greenville and upstate South Carolina to notice. And, um, you know, in, in some aspects, I think this season, as weird as it has been, um, has been a good thing from a um, standpoint of, of more people coming to know uh, who we are, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately for a lot. Um, and unfortunately for us from a from a camaraderie and friendship standpoint, uh, the other sports teams in town aren't able to play. But, you know, fortunately, at the same time, it, it has allowed us to um, to spotlight, uh, shine a spotlight on the triumph a bit more. And we've noticed that in increased news coverage from the media. Um, increased attention from businesses and uh, getting a local TV deal too for select matches this year was huge. And we, uh, you know, as, as you said, you know, the supporters are going to be there. And I think 
we had a leg up on that for most other cities to begin with because we had a huge uh, swell of support to get a pro team in Greenville from supporters that were AO or Atlanta United. Um, there was a petition with a thousand some signatures on it. So, so we were already a leg up in that regard. But uh, I, I think that we've been really impressed with um, with the business community and the casual fan. And I think it's only going to continue to grow as as we hopefully continue to win on the field. So let's talk a little bit about return to play because obviously the, in the beginning when you guys first played your your first home match, there were a very limited number of people in the stands. I'm not even sure there were any fans at all. And then you guys kind of eased into that a little bit. Um, can you talk about that process and what were you know the good things that you learned and, and maybe the bad things that you learned now that you have um, you know fans, obviously social distance, but you have uh, fans in the stadium? Sure. Uh, you know, the, the first match, as you mentioned, it was uh, it was a, a skeleton crew pretty much. And, and frankly, not even all of our staff was there. If you weren't performing an essential duty um, to to putting the match on, you weren't there. Um, so that that really gave us, you know, an opportunity to focus on the protocols from a return to play to make sure we're keeping all the players and coaches and referees safe, you know, to, to not have to worry about fans it was a bit of a blessing in disguise to, to help get, uh, get all that figured out. And then the second, uh, the second match, we were able to, uh, to have some kind of friends and family players, players, friends and family, coaches, friends and family out. Uh, and, and that was a group that ended up, I think being about 50 people or so and kind of the same thing, but, but also to, to be able to test some of our platforms, knowing at that point, that we were hopefully going to have fans soon when we came back, uh, came back to town later in August. So I think, you know, it, it was, it was a little scary waiting into um, having fans back and not scary from a, I would say from a safety perspective, because we felt pretty confident in what was laid out to us from the governor's office and our state department of commerce as, as the guidelines, but just scary because, you know, you feel a sense of responsibility, um, you know, you know that people are, are willingly coming, but you want to you want to make sure to create a safe environment. And um, obviously you want people to feel comfortable enough that they want to come back. Uh, what we didn't want to do is, you know, have a thousand, fifteen hundred people out and scare them off, but they don't come back the rest of the year in the next year. So um, it, it was an interesting process. But, you know, our, uh, I think one of the things we benefited from was pretty much since the shutdown happened in March, we had been planning for a fan return with social distancing and masks and limited capacity and all that. So, so it was something that was not a surprise to us when the application came open to, Hey, you can apply for a waiver of over 250 people. We were ready to go. We had a presentation ready and um, that helped us become the first event really in South Carolina, I think in six months or so to have more than 250 people. Right. Well, with not having fans in the stadium, or, and certainly not as many as you normally would at this point because of the limited capacity you're allowed to have, you guys penned a deal, and uh, you know, wasn't it was around simultaneous with one or two other teams uh, for a local TV deal for uh, terrestrial television to be showing your matches. How did that come about? You know, was it uh, what did you guys approach them? Did they approach you? Like, what what was the negotiation for you guys to get CW sixty two on board as your broadcast partner? Yeah, uh, great question. And and you said it was, uh, you know, some of the other teams had deals. And I remember Madison had announced their deal. And, you know, in the in the last paragraph, I'm reading the story and it's, you know, Madison becomes the second team joining Richmond as the, blah, 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 as the only two League One teams to have a local TV deal. And I read that as we were pretty much typing the release for our deal, which was <laughs> which was really cool, um, you know, for for us to be able to do that. And um it was it was something where we had kind of talked um, to the station before uh, about matches. Uh, our our CW affiliate is owned by uh, WSPA, which is our local CBS affiliate, which uh, runs out of Spartanburg, which is twenty minutes up the road from Greenville. Um, and and we had talked to them. They've kind of become a, a home of local sports. They do a lot of Southern Conference football, basketball, Furman, Wofford, um, a couple of those. That's bigger. Uh, you know, one double A schools. So that they pride themselves on being able to to deliver that hyper local sports experience. And um, they were they were interested from the start. And I think, you know, it was only made easier during the pandemic. And um, knowing that the football uh, schedule was kind of up in the air for them 
anyways. And um, they were excited about the opportunity to bring not just another local team, but to pretty much bring a new local sport to TV. Um, we'd not had any local soccer televised. So it was, it was something that just really made a lot of sense for both parties. And, you know, we were happy to do it because as, as we know, you, you know, it happened, it, it, it was coincidence that it happened as the first game that was broadcast was the first game we were allowed to have fans back. That was unintentional, but it, it worked out beautifully because, you know, we, we know that there are a lot of people, uh, a lot of our core fans and supporters that aren't ready to return to the stadium yet. And we're not going to judge. We totally get that. And so to be able to say, Hey, fans, you know, fans can come back in limited capacity. We'd love to have you back. But also if you're not ready, check this out. And it started as a one game deal for our uh, August 15th match against Chattanooga. And um, assuming that went well, we knew that there was the potential for more and it did go very well. It reached about 20,000 households in the upstate, which was a great number. Yeah. yeah. Was that, was that surprising that that many households tuned in? I mean, that, you know, we, we think about people going out to games and, you know, you, you haven't had a ton of sellouts or anything like that, but um, you know, the fact that 20,000 households tuned in for at least some portion of the match had to, had to, I mean, it came to me as a surprise. Like I would have been happy with 5,000, right. But that, that I would have called. No, I agree. Um, so. You know, you figure just from our core fan base and the people that are going to tune in, that's maybe a couple thousand that, you know, don't go to games, but want to want to catch it on. So I think I think they did a good job promoting it. Uh, I selfishly think we did a good job promoting it, too, ahead of time. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it was a, a huge win. And it, it it speaks again to, you know, we're I think even though most things are back up and running, we're a little starved for sports. Um, especially locally, you know, it's, it's tough to feel very connected, um, to your, your local town region when you're staying inside your house most of the time, that's your local home region is, you know, your living room and your kitchen and bedroom. So I think it was, I think it was a great opportunity for, for people to get to, um, feel pride in Greenville and, and the upstate. And, um, you know, we've aired two more matches since then, and I think we have another four to go. So, it's been great. Um, I know, I know the station's happy and we're happy too. And we've got our fingers crossed that it could, uh, lead to maybe more matches being aired in 2021. Yeah, that's great. And so, so what's, so when it comes to, again, going back to your advertisers and sponsors and, and people like that, like how, how excited are they to see their products, you know, on CW 62, you know, locally, I, I take it that that's been something that's, you know, maybe brought some more attention to you guys as well from, uh, from that community. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's been great for us too. you know, being having a shortened season and having to make up uh, to, to sponsors a lot of, um, you know, our agreements that were ballparked out for 28 matches and uh, a number of deliverables about that. So to go to sponsors and say, hey, we've got this really cool platform that we didn't expect that's going to help you not only recapture the, the value we'd originally talked about, but, um, you know, to, to be able to exceed that as well has been has been great. And a lot of our sponsors are local. Um, so for them to get, get that, um, showcase on local TV and, and to an audience that, you know, again, far surpasses what we can do on ESPN plus, don't get me wrong. ESPN plus platform is great, but it's still a subscription based platform. And we know that not everyone is, is willing to subscribe to that. So to be able to offer that for free, you know, I, I took a lot, um, to heart of what Madison said too. And I know Madison's circumstance was a, a little different, um, you know, with them having to play outside of Madison, but, but at the same time, you know, we wanted to give our fans a, a way to watch our matches if they couldn't come. And I think that was Madison's goal too. And I talked to Connor and Madison about that. And I just, I think it's cool for, for us, for Madison, for the league to be able to do that. And, um, you know, it was really fun, uh, last Saturday when we, when we played up in Richmond, uh, that we had the game being simulcast in both markets locally. Yeah. And you heard uh, Chris McCoviak on the broadcast talking about that. And that was really, really neat to hear. Um, Cause I think that was one of the first matches to have that. I, I think in league one, it probably, I'm sure it is. <laughs> yeah. Fact. Yeah. yeah sure. no, doubt, no doubt about that. So that's great. So Doug, thanks very much for coming on league one fun. Appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Ara. Welcome back. To finish up today's show, Ross, how about we preview this week's slate of matches in USL League One? Let's do it. 
All right, so match preview th- this Thursday. So we have a Thursday night game, like 7 it. p.m. Orlando City B uh, faces North Texas, uh, two teams toward <laughs> the bottom of the table. Um, I don't have much to say about this. I think that this is one of those games that could end up 0-0 or 4-4. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I, I, I think more of the 4-4. I've seen that North Texas defense in person this year, and it's, it's not pretty at times. OCB, listen, they've got some, they've got some talent. Got Tablante, who can really cause some havoc on the wing. Both teams very desperate in that game. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would give the edge probably to North Texas just on, on, uh, just on talent. But you know, you're in, OC, you're in Orlando, and um, you know, they're in, they're in a new stadium too. So you know, we'll see uh, um, how, how that is. Um, more importantly, uh, for for the table and for the standings is, is Friday's matches. So will New England? Uh, Revolution two at seven p.m. be able to defeat forward Madison and reduce Madison's chances of making the top two. Um, I mean, look, New England Revolution. Even though they got they they got slaughtered by Chattanooga, they did beat Greenville. Um, did. So we can't count them out in this game. I don't think this is. I think this is a statement game for Madison. If they can go there and take care of business against New England, that really puts them on a nice little run to perhaps challenge those top two. But a loss here would be a killer for them. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it would be hard for Madison, I think, to come back with, you know, given given how few games there are. I mean, we'll, we'll basically be halfway through the season after this weekend. And um, oh, yeah. yeah, so, uh, we'll, you know, Madison will have played seven of their 16 games. So um, they need a point here, I think, at least in order to uh, kind of make good. I mean, drawing away um, would not be the worst thing for Madison, but uh, they have to they have to start getting points on the board. Otherwise, uh, they'll, they'll be in trouble. Uh, but eight o'clock, so you know, at halftime, you might want to switch over to this match, depending on what's going on in the Madison match. But South Georgia Tormenta is hosting Greenville. Um, you, you know, Greenville. I, I don't think this is a must-win for Greenville, but I think this is yeah. a must-get a point for Greenville. Um, no, if they can hold off. Yeah, the performance is going to be more important than the result in this game. Listen, these two teams very familiar with each other, haven't played each other a ton of times last year, including in the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, the last game obviously was a bit of a stalemate. Uh, almost <laughs> and then yeah i think listen greenville come out of there with a point come back home uh, it'll be but they got a couple of t- tough matches uh, coming up next i think against madison and chattanooga both at home so two teams that could be right up behind them if they do lose this game so i think greenville will potentially take a point if they could pull out a decent enough performance out of it maybe a 2-2 no no scary though yeah, and obviously, if 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 it ends up if Greenville does win this, it's it's going to be hard to see what what route Tormenta has to the top two. I mean, they would almost have to, you know, almost win out and certainly not not drop uh, uh, more than a couple of points on the way. Uh, especially since Tormenta has already played half their season. This this is going to be their ninth match of the season as well as Greenville's ninth match, right? So it's it's kind of interesting yep. that those two might wind up being looking back. So at some point, they're both going to have a little bit of time off while other teams are playing. So maybe they'll be able to recover for, from some injury for those uh, last couple of weeks of the season and uh, and be at full strength maybe uh, for the final playoff push. So um, Saturday evening, 8 p.m. is Fort Lauderdale um, Club Day Football versus the Chattanooga Red Wolves. Chattanooga going down to Miami or Fort Lauderdale for this. Um you know, you got to give, I think, the edge to Chattanooga, but for Lauderdale's offense, like we talked about, has been, you know, quite, you know, quite good. I mean, you know, Ricky Lopez, excuse me, Ricky Espin Lopez. There we go. Yeah. Um, is, uh, you know, he could, he could, you know, he could score a hat trick in this game potentially. I mean, I don't think so because Chattanooga's defense has been decent this year, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't. I, the most surprising thing about this game is if it went goalless. I think that would be the, I don't, the most. I don't surprising think that's happened, But yeah, this will be a good test for Chattanooga. Listen, Fort Lauderdale, very young, very excitable. Love to get forward in that four-three-three system, and uh, it could cause Chattanooga some problems. I see this one being a high-scoring game. I was going to say it's very hot and humid down here, still thunderstorms. But Chattanooga been playing at one p.m., so they've seen it all so far in terms of weather. Yeah. Uh, and then at 10.30 is the late game uh, out in Tucson, FC Tucson hosting the Richmond Kickers, who are doing their single long trip of the season. Um, uh, you, you know, this is this is this one's anyone's guess. I mean, it's hard to go on the road, go that far, um, you know, play in the dry heat when you're used to playing in humidity maybe is 
better for Richmond. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this one's a hard one for me to call. I, I don't know if I have a, a particularly strong opinion one way or the other. Um, and, you know, could easily see like a one, one draw in, in, in this match. Listen, I think after the, after the win, uh, against Greenville, I think this game is a bit of a, you know, throw whatever you want. If you come out with a point, great. You come out with three points. Awesome. But if you lose this game, it's not the end of the world now with Richmond after that win over Greenville. If they lost the game to Greenville, got out there and lost this one, it might be a different story, but uh, I think maybe Richmond, Richmond sneak this one two one. They seem yeah. to like that score. So. <laughs> it would not be surprising. And the, the lone game right now scheduled for Sunday is 8 p.m. Union Omaha is hosting OCB. Um, I would be shocked if Omaha didn't take three points out of this game. Um, that would be pretty surprising against the very poor OCB team this year. I would, I would agree. I like the scheduling this week. You can almost watch all uh, every game. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm only going to... Yeah, exactly. I'm going to, uh, we, the only thing you're going to miss is half of either new England revolution two, at, uh, versus Madison or South Georgia Tormenta Greenville. So, um, you know, make the decision at halftime, what you want to do before you turn on the, uh, the South well, Georgia just, Greenville well, just screen it. That's the easy way to do it these days, right? I, I can't do that. I, I even have a problem tweeting about games and while I'm watching, cause I'm too engrossed in actually watching the game for the, the, the tactics that the teams are using boy. with, with that, uh, Ross, thanks again for coming on League One Fun. I, you know, this is well, sorry, this thanks for fun. having me. Yeah, um, you know, takes aren't as spicy, but still, still it's quality it. content here. It's big <laughs> shoes to fill, and I don't have a you know a shiny disco shirt to pay tribute to Jason. Unfortunately, <laughs> I did look at my closet, but the closest I could come up with was my nice little Coventry City jersey, which I, I'm torn about buying now because now they're promoted to the championship. They're playing in the same league as Bournemouth, so oh, I'm torn about it. But it's it's a great shirt, so it's all right. That that's 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 great. You know, you know, I wish my, I wish I hadn't gotten rid of all my clothes from the 1970s. You know, I had the bell bottom, uh, the, the bell bottom plaid pants and stuff. So I, I still have a lot of pictures back from those days. So I didn't think that they'd ever be back in, in style. Everything comes around. Yeah. Ross, where can people connect with you? You can find me on that Ross bloke on Twitter. And I do have a podcast myself, not a soccer podcast, but a rugby podcast, which you can find on all podcast platforms a florida rugby podcast if you search for talking florida rugby we do a weekly video live video just like you are most of the weeks and then you can, yeah you can find us on the podcast right afterwards that's talking florida rugby that's great and jason can be found at home sweet soccer i can be found at ira jersey and you can connect with the show on twitter at league one fun that's league the number one fun thanks for listening please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and thanks to our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of USL, Major League Soccer, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And if you need custom kits for your adult club, your club team, or your youth team, check out Icarus FC. Go to IcarusFC.com for all your custom kit needs. Until next week, on behalf of Ross Devonport, Jason, who is somewhere i'm sure partying it up <laughs> hashtag support local soccer cheers Art.